Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. Happy holidays. In segment three, Tiger Woods' troubles get deeper and more widespread this week. We'll discuss the impact on his brand, and I'll once again give you my perspective for how I would handle this if I were running Team Tiger, which, by the way, needs to be blown up. In segment four, Sports Sense, Bill Hancock. Talk about a key decision maker in the world of sports. He's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series, better known as the BCS. The BCS is one of the most controversial systems in sports. We're going to talk with the man who was hired in November to be the czar of that controversial system, the BCS. That's coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend. Follow me via Twitter. You can link to our Facebook and Twitter pages. Go to my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, at SB Radio. Joined in studio by our producer, Bobby Corser, by our co-host, Nathan Roach. Nathan, uh, you know, you ask people about the BCS, and some people like it, but more people don't like it. Bill Hancock, super nice guy. I had a chance to catch up with him earlier this week. But I still just don't think the system makes sense. We had some good back and forth, and uh, that's coming up in segment four. Oh, I agree with you. I think most of the people I talk to don't like the BCS. What people will miss, though, if there was a playoff system, is the bowl games. People love that there is 50 bowl games on to watch you know, during the holiday season. So I think people actually miss that. I want the playoff, but people like the bowl games. My main gripe in all of sports, this is the only system that uses computers, polls, and where things are not determined on the field. But as you'll hear, the BCS is only interested with getting one versus two. They don't really care about the other games as much. They want to make sure the two best teams are facing off for the national championship. Also, like I said, we're going to talk a lot more about Tiger Woods. Monster TV ratings for the SEC championship between Alabama and Florida last week. Boxing, big, big boost. We've talked about this the last few weeks. It is now in pen. Manny Pacquiao, Floyd Mayweather Jr. It's on in March. We'll tell you about that. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, CBS earned an 11.8 rating for Saturday's Alabama-Florida SEC championship game. That's up 13% from a 10.4 rating for last year's matchup. The 11.8 rating marks the best overnight rating for the SEC championship game since it was first held in 1992. It's the highest rated regular season college football game on the net since Notre Dame-Miami earned a 14.6 in November of 1989. Big, big ratings. Well, I don't think it's any surprise here. I mean, Florida-Alabama is what everybody was waiting and watching to see. You got one versus two. So we continue to see how popular football's been this year, both in the NFL and collegiate ranks. And so this really isn't a surprise. I mean, you tell me hockey ratings are up like this? I'm, I'm blown out of my seat. This doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I'm not surprised by this either. And I think this is why the BCS National Championship game, two big powers, two storied, very familiar programs, Alabama-Texas, I think that's going to be a ratings bonanza as well. Our next headline, Manny Pacquiao has signed a contract to fight Floyd Mayweather Jr. March 13th. Nathan, the big story on this now is where are they going to hold this fight? Dallas wanted to have it. Jerry Jones wanted to have it at the Cowboys Stadium. The Yankees were in the mix. Seems like the two finalists now, the Staples Center in Los Angeles, which I guess is bending over backwards to try and get this fight, And then Las Vegas. Las Vegas usually hosts fights of this magnitude. There are a number of different venues there that would love to play host to this fight. But this is terrific for boxing. It's going to be a 50-50 split. So these guys are equal billing. We knew that it had to be 50-50. Originally, Mayweather Jr. was like, I want 65-35. And Pacquiao's camp said, no way. Now it's 50-50. This could break all kind of pay-per-view records. Well, this is exactly what boxing needs, too, right now. We've talked about the rise of the MMA in the last couple years, and boxing's been kind of fading off. Now you've got one of the biggest fights of all time, the one that people were calling for, and I don't see how you could not have it in Las Vegas. That is the mecca of boxing, and if you want to make a strong return to you know challenge the MMA, you need to have it in Vegas. So the pay-per-view record, if you're wondering, 2.4 million buys. That was for Mayweather, Oscar De La Hoya in 2007. I'm going to go on the limb right now and say this will top that. I know that's not making a huge prediction, but I think this will be the biggest grossing one for pay-per-view buys ever. Our next headline, we're going to ask Bobby to weigh in on this. Driver Danica Patrick has agreed to a two-year deal with JR Motorsports to drive a partial NASCAR nationwide series schedule next season. And it looks like she's going to make her debut on February 6th at the Daytona International Speedway. Bobby, what does this all mean? It's been rumored for years that Danica would eventually move over to to NASCAR. Now she's done it. What does this mean? It just basically means she now has a chance to get her feet wet without fully committing to a real NASCAR season. Doesn't she have a lot to lose here? Because if she goes and she's obviously not competing in the quote-unquote big boy series or big girl series, and she doesn't do well, don't people go, oh my gosh, she can't move up to NASCAR now because she's not even doing well 
at the level she's at. The thing that's cool about the Nationwide Series is a lot of the big boys drive cars in the Nationwide Series. One, you know, they have separate teams or they own their own team. So you're, she's going to be racing against the big names. She's just not in the upper series. If you're IndyCar, what do you do here? You can tell she's kind of migrating over to NASCAR. She's been one of the faces, even though she hasn't won many races, of IndyCar racing if they continue to market her and promote her and then she only leaves them for NASCAR. Doesn't that leave them in a, in a tough spot? Sure, it leaves them in a tough spot. And there are other women that you know drive in the IndyCar series. None are as high-level marketed as Danica is. I mean, it's the same thing we talk about all the time on this show. We've talked about it for a few years. Danica Patrick, Michelle Wee. you got to win. All right, our last headline of the week. CBS, as of late last week, has sold more than 90% of its ad inventory for the Super Bowl that will be on February 7th. This leaves the broadcaster with just a handful of in-game spots. This is according to Adweek. It appears this will be the second straight Super Bowl without an American auto sponsor. That's not too big of a shock. But if you want to keep your eye out for some big ads during the Super Bowl, watch the movie companies because we've got Iron Man 2 and Toy Story 3 coming up. So... People think that Paramount, Walt Disney, and some of the other movie studios may really take this year's Super Bowl as an opportunity to promote the movies that we'll see in early 2010. All right, coming up next, Caught in the Crosslights with Guess Who? Again. Eldrick, Tiger Woods. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Feliz Navidad. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. For an in-depth analysis of the week's PR nightmare, Sports Business Radio presents Caught in the Crosslights. Well, unless we go back over the last six years of this show, it's a rarity for someone to go back-to-back weeks of Caught in the Crosslights. I think Michael Vick, maybe Kobe Bryant, Barry Bonds, Marion Jones. That's a list of people that have gone back-to-back Caught in the crosslights. Well, Tiger Woods, welcome to the club. You are back-to-back caught in the crosslights. It's not a good place to be that's, on this show. That's like multiple appearances on Saturday Night Live, like Tom Hanks. He'll go three times, he'll be the leader. But this is not a place that you want to be. So, all right, most of you, again, I'm not going to insult your intelligence. I know you've followed closely the continued saga of Tiger Woods. And last week we talked to you about how we would handle this from a PR perspective because that's what Nathan and I do. We're PR professionals. We also talked about the brand of Tiger Woods and would this affect his brand. And I think the word we used last week, Nathan, was unless there's something catastrophic that comes along that's uncovered, 
Tiger's brand will remain intact. It will survive this drama. Well, I'm not as sure about that this week as I was last week. I still think that his brand is going to survive this for the long haul, but he's in for a bumpy, bumpy ride. And he's got to change some things up very, very quickly. Let's start by talking about his sponsorships and his brand. We know a few things for sure. Gatorade Tiger, you will not see it on shelves anymore. It that bums been, me out. I love Gatorade It's Tiger. been discontinued. Now, Gatorade says this was made, this decision was made months ago. Some people find it a little curious. Bottom line, there's one less place you're going to see Tiger. Tag Hoyer this week says that they've pulled many of their placards featuring Tiger Woods. Those are two sponsors right there. EA Sports, Nike Golf, Gillette, they still stand firm, but we have not seen any primetime ads featuring Tiger Woods since November 29th. So what the sponsors have done essentially is they're in the holding pattern. They've they've pulled all mentions of Tiger. They've pulled all their plans with Tiger. They haven't said, Tiger, we're severing our relationship with you, but they're going into a quiet period, which is what a lot of companies do when they're waiting for things to continue to unfold. Now, Again, it's worth stating, what Tiger has done, to our knowledge, is not illegal. It's immoral. But remember, and I tweeted about this this week, people, when they're making decisions about product and what product am I going to buy, they're kind of thinking, are you moral or are you immoral? I mean, if you're going shopping with your wife and you're looking through the, the golf shirts and you're looking at, hey, this Tiger Woods shirt looks kind of cool, I want that, what do you think the wife is going to say? You think she's going to endorse that buy? You think women are going to endorse buying Nike golf clubs and the things that Tiger sponsors, Gillette products, EA Sports products, not that women have a lot of decision-making on the, the video game front. But here's a point I wanted to make, and this is something I have not heard really on any other show or read about anywhere else. I've spent a lot of time with sports marketing executives and sports marketing companies. And I can tell you beyond any shadow of a doubt that not only did these sports marketing executives who have relationships with Tiger Woods know about his lifestyle, some of them may have been alongside of him as he was partaking in these activities. Wingmen. They were crossing their fingers that this would not blow up. Now, how they thought this would never come to the forefront with all the voicemails, emails, text messages that have been revealed in the last week, I don't know. But it gets worse and worse every day. Every day we're finding out about a new woman that supposedly had some sort of a relationship with Tiger. I think from Mark Steinberg, I'm going to call him out, his agent at IMG, who I've done nothing but give kudos to for years on this show. He's been on this show a few times. To the sports marketing executives, to his friends. They have all enabled him. We've talked about LeBron James being enabled before, people telling him when he wants to hear. We used the example last year in the playoffs when he didn't shake hands with the opposing team and he just walked off the court. No one really took him to task on it until later. Tiger Woods has been enabled. He's the goose that lays the golden egg. No one wanted to damage that relationship. No one wanted to jeopardize the cash cow. So 
Yes, Tiger, you go ahead and do this. Yes, Tiger, how can we help you with that? In the meantime, they've done him a disservice. And as Herm Edwards, the former coach of the Jets, said on ESPN this week, Tiger needs to blow up Team Tiger, and he needs to get new friends. He needs to get people that are going to be real with him. He probably needs to get a new agent, and he needs to start from ground zero. And I still think he needs to, and fast, come out with someone. I don't care if it's Oprah. I don't care if it's his buddy Scott Van Pelt on ESPN. Or he's got a standing invitation to come on this show with me. (laughs) I don't think he's going to do that. And he's got to tell his story. And he's got to apologize to the fans, to the sponsors, to the many people that have supported him and thought that he was something that he's clearly not. And until he does that, I don't buy for a minute, and I'll argue with you all day long, Nathan, about anyone who says he should keep quiet, he should hope this go, just goes away, he should stay silent and it'll all blow over. It's not going to blow over. And as I said last week, the reason it won't blow over is because the news and the entertainment media are all over this story. If it was just a sports story, I could buy that maybe it'll blow over. The news and the entertainment media will not allow this story to die, and if he continues to run from it, they're going to keep chasing him. First of all, I am not going to sit here and debate you on what I think he should do. I'm a PR guy. I agree with you on all fronts. What I said to you off the air was this. Tiger Woods, aside from his marketing dollars, is a competitor, a fierce competitor. One of the things that's made him so great is he hasn't allowed anyone, he hasn't shown anyone his weaknesses in his private life. Or on the course. Well, they're all out for us to see now. <laughs> well, exactly. But what makes that even worse as a com- from a competitive standpoint is if he goes on Oprah and sobs like everybody does on Oprah, we'd all cry if we went on Oprah. All of a sudden, his competitors and his, his own self-confidence, I think, would be hindered and people would see an you opening. You know what? I don't that, buy that. He's human. Of course he's human. I'm just showing you. here. He, we didn't think he was human as far as golf was concerned for the last six, seven years. I mean, the guy was nails on the golf course, and nobody knew anything about him off the course. From a PR standpoint, I completely agree with you. He needs to fall on the sword and start back over. I mean, from Jasper Parnovic, who introduced Tiger to his wife, to Ben Crane, to many other pros, they've come out and said everything from he's fake and phony and packaged to if I see Tiger Woods, I'm going to take a driver upside his head. Because they don't think he's making the PGA Tour look good. They don't think he's making athletes look very good. Frankly, I mean, I've heard men joke this week. He ruined it for everyone because, you know, he's really botched this. And in a day where you have to realize, you know, Twitter, Facebook, voicemails, emails, text messages, all these things, he's left a trail behind him. Here's the, here's the tweet of the week. I saw this on my Twitter account. Tiger Woods is the Tiger Woods of cheating on his wife. I mean, it's gotten so ridiculous, and I think that that's what makes this even worse, is that it's not like he went out and had individual flings with numerous women. He had relationships with 12 women, which I think makes it 10 times worse than if he was just in Vegas partying with his friends. Well, and the sad part of this is the effect it's had on his family. We've seen, you know, his wife reportedly has uh, bought another house and looks like she may be moving out with the kids. Her mother had an episode where she had to be rushed to the hospital this week. It gets more and more dramatic by the day. And, you know, there's even reports about if you want to talk about how much this may cost Tiger, I mean, he may end up paying his now wife $75, $100 million. Who knows how much he's going to have to pay these women that have come out to keep them quiet. I just think at some point, like I said with David Letterman last week, if you come out and you address things, There's nothing left to hide. I mean, 
the embarrassing sore details are out. David I, Letterman's is far different from Tiger Woods. I understand, though. but I think if David Letterman didn't address it, the details could have been pretty sordid, and because he did address it, I think a lot of those details remained in the closet, so to speak. Uh, I, I completely agree. I think that... Uh, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see what, what pans out. I mean, like you said, every single day there's something new. This this is not ending. It's not like two women and now we're just waiting for Tiger to do something. Every day another woman comes out and it's only getting worse. So my question to you guys is it's been over two and a half weeks now since the incident and nobody has seen Tiger. Do you think he needs to make an appearance somewhere or at least have a photograph or something of well, him Well, yeah, that's what I just there? said. No, not a photograph. He needs to sit down and I would do this one-on-one with someone. I don't know if you even need to do it, Oprah. Oprah, you're in front of a studio audience. I understand Oprah has a lot of uh, female viewers who, you know, if this is portrayed the right way, then maybe they'll forgive them. But I don't even think that that's going to help. I don't think people are just going to, like, automatically overnight forgive Tiger Woods. This is going to be a long process. This is a long rehab. He needs to, again, you know, first of all, come to grips with this isn't going to go away. So I've got to sit down with someone in the broadcast realm, show my face, and come clean. And again, apologize. Don't be above the law here, Tiger. You made a mistake. You made a series of mistakes. You need to apologize to all the people who have supported you and who have made you what you are. If he does not do that, and if the details continue to come out about embarrassing situations with Tiger, then I think we could see some sponsors, some major sponsors, say, you know what? We're not going to continue this relationship, or what they do is they'll go dormant. So Gatorade, Gatorade pulls Gatorade Tiger off the shelf. Well, to my research that I did this week, Tiger signed a five-year deal with Gatorade in 2007. By my math, that means that contract isn't due to expire till 2012. So were they just going to ride out the rest of the contract and eat that money and not put Tiger out there anywhere? Maybe that could be what happens with some of his other sponsors, too. They say, you know what? Instead of aligning our brand with Tiger's brand, we're just going to go quiet. We're going to pay his contract. Or if they have an ethics clause in the contract, maybe they can exercise that and get out of the contract that way. But I think people are going to continue to wait and see. They're going to be in a holding pattern and, you know, wait a few more weeks and see how this progresses and plays out. Well, I know I'll stay tuned. I think a lot of people will be staying tuned in to this. Coming up next, Bill Hancock. He's the czar of the BCS. He was brought on board in November. If you've always been curious about why the BCS is the way it is, listen to this interview. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. 
To find the Mortons nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Mortons, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series, better known as the BCS. Hancock served for 13 years as the director of the NCAA's Division I Men's Basketball Championship, the three-week March Madness event that culminates at the Final Four. Bill, happy holidays, and thanks for joining us this week on Sports Business Radio. Thank you very much, Brian. We, we appreciate your having us on. So, Bill, for our audience, explain what your duties and responsibilities are as the executive director of the BCS. Let's start there. Thank you. The, the BCS is, an, is uh, an event. It's not an entity. It's an event that's managed by the 11 conferences. And I uh, work for the conferences to basically handle the day-to-day details of, of the BCS, uh, serve as a national spokesperson, um, help them build a consensus, and then articulate that consensus. So before, I've had Michael Slive on the show a few times, SEC commissioner. He was the BCS coordinator. John Swarford from the ACC has been the coordinator. Why was the decision made to put someone like yourself in that permanent seat so it didn't rotate amongst the commissioners anymore? Uh, they decided that they that a full time person was necessary uh, to help to help with the communications, and that the event had grown to such a point that uh, more time was needed to manage it. You know, those commissioners all they all have day jobs, <laughs> right? And and when it came their turn to wear the BCS hat, they were adding ten or twenty percent more onto their already full plates. And it just wasn't appropriate. It may have been appropriate in the early days of the BCS, but the the event has grown so much that it's no longer appropriate. Don't take offense to this, but I've said the the second most thankless job in America next to being president of the United States is being the executive director of the BCS. I think you've got a very, very difficult job. Maybe you could talk to us about what some of your goals as the BCS executive director are going forward now that you're sitting in this seat as of November. We think that many people don't understand the BCS. Right, I would agree. Don't understand the revenue distribution, don't understand the team selection. And it it is a fair process that has been developed through the years by all 11 conferences. And I think more importantly by uh, the 120 institutions who play FBS football, both subdivision football. Um, And nothing could happen without those institutions' uh, consensus. And so that's what we have. And, of course, being the representative of something that's controversial is not easy, but this is worth fighting for. This is a great game. College football is so healthy, it's so popular, and it has such passionate fans that it's worth fighting for. And, frankly, I love the game. I always have, even when I was a basketball guy. I, I, I love college football. And I want, to know, I want people to know all the good that the BCS has done. I'm proud of it. We have a story to tell, and, and we're telling it. So, again, just kind of continuing along those lines, a lot of people think the BCS is associated with the NCAA, which it's not. Can you, again, kind of just explain to the layperson, you know, you talk about the FBS, explain kind of who owns the BCS. I know you talked a few minutes ago about the different conferences, and but can you go into a little more detail on that? Yeah, you bet. Happy to. Um, the, 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 the event 
the BCS event is managed by the conferences uh, and, and not by the NCAA because the NCAA really doesn't manage uh, postseason football. And uh, it's managed by a series of, conference, of contracts among the conferences and the bowls. Of course, as a former NCAA staff member, I, I have many friends in the national office. Sure. And I certainly understand the mission of the NCAA. But the fact is that the conferences prefer to manage this event uh, themselves. And so that's, that's the way it happens. Isn't it 11 conferences and then Notre Dame is part of the, the BCS as well? Yes, it, it, which is all, that 11 is all, uh, that is the whole universe of conferences for the, the bowl subdivision. So it, it's, it's managed by everyone who's involved. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. He was appointed to that position this past November. Bill, uh, a lot of people, just the, the layperson again, looks at college football and they say there's a, there's a playoff at the Division two and Division three level. Why does a playoff system not work at the Division One level? Very good question. There are many reasons for that. Um, and I'll start with that those other divisions don't have the heritage of the bowl system. In 1A football, the bowls are the reward at the end of the season. It's a chance to go to a, experience a new culture, visit a new place, and it's a reward at the end of the season. Those other divisions don't have that. I think if you talk to many, some people in those other divisions, and I, and I have, frankly, Dan Beebe, who's commissioner of the Big 12 now, used to be commissioner of the Ohio Valley, and he knows for many years there were people who play in the in the championship subdivision, the old one AA playoffs, who are not happy about it, who wish they had a bowl system instead of the playoff system that they have. But other reasons why there's no playoff is basically – it's easy for the critics to talk about a paper playoff. But when you start to deal in reality, which is what we have to do, it's quite difficult. Selecting four teams for a playoff today would, would be very difficult. Obviously, with the five undefeated teams that we have, who gets left out? Selecting the field for eight-team playoff, there would be more teams who think they have a chance to get in. So while there's, there are people who don't like what we have, most of what they don't like would not be cured by a playoff. Um, we also have the most meaningful regular season of any sport. You remember, I know, how, how meaningful regular seasons used to be in, in all sports, college and pro. And now with the expansion of brackets uh, in all championships, the regular season just frankly doesn't mean as much as it used to. And I don't know why we would want to monkey with this meaningful regular season in college football. Another thing about I'm sorry Brian excuse me just another thing about playoffs is just the logistics of something as simple as asking people to travel across the country and back home and then back out for three or four weekends in a row for a playoff would be very uh, significant burden on the fans and we need to be careful about that Yeah I mean I guess you know I watched the NCAA tournament and you obviously used to run the NCAA tournament, as I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, and fans will travel back and forth during the tournament. So I think they would still travel. I understand it's a burden and the time of the year is a little bit more difficult than during the spring, but I do think uh, they would travel. Let me ask you this. Um, ESPN takes over the broadcast rights for the BCS in 2011. If they came to you and said, you know what? We want to be a, a voice in, in changing the system. We'd like to see a playoff versus how the system is, is set up now. 
would you listen to them? Do they have the power to have that conversation, or are they not more powerful than the 11 conferences and, and Notre Dame, the BCS system? Before I answer that, Brian, let me go back to the travel matter, because my experience on the NCAA staff uh, showed me that travel in football will not work for the fans. The biggest difference is we're asking in college football, we're asking thirty to 35,000 people to travel to, to bowl games and, and, by extension, to playoff games every week. Whereas in the NCAA tournament, each team might have brought 200, maybe 800, maybe sometimes 1,000 to faraway places. So it's, it's just not the same. There's so many more people. And also our travel in football is at holiday time, so that has to be considered. But your question about, it, about ESPN is a good one, and the fact is they have no more voice than, than anyone else in this discussion. Um, we do have a four-year contract with them. They will not be asking for changes. Um, until the next time the contract comes due. And, and they might ask for changes then, but actually what happened this time is we, we took them the format, and we said this is the format that we're going to have, and and what's your response? In, in other words, what kind of a rights fee will you provide? Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't a matter of them trying to tweak the format at all. We, we We developed it, we took it to them, and they bid on it. Interesting. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. Alabama, Texas, they're going to face off in the national championship game, both undefeated, both storied programs, great matchup of one versus two. But you've got Boise State, TCU, they're going to face off in the Fiesta Bowl. Bill, is it safe to say that Alabama, Texas, they come from bigger conferences, they come from conferences that play tougher schedules? Is it safe to say that they get into the national championship game because of those reasons? No, not at all. Um, maybe their conference, their, their, there could be an extension that might explain why their conferences might affect why they, why they were so strong was that their strength of schedule was strong. Uh, they, paid, they played good teams week in and week out. I, I, think that, I think that's the main boost that they get from being in those conferences. So you look at Boise State and TCU. They've beaten everyone on their schedule. They have a tough time getting the Goliaths to play them, frankly, because if they beat Goliath, that doesn't look good for that conference and for that school. So I just wonder, you know, at what point do you think that we may see a Boise State, a TCU, a a non-major conference team in the BCS National Championship game, or is that a nearly impossible task because, A, they don't play in a conference that has a schedule as tough as, let's say, the SEC or the Pac-10 or the Big East or the ACC, and then um, they have a hard time getting other schools to play them for their non-conference schedule. You know, Brian, scheduling is a school-by-school matter, and I I don't need to get involved in it. Sure. And I don't. However, I will say that the people who say that Boise and TCU can't get people to play them have ignored the fact that Boise played Oregon this year, TCU played Clemson and Virginia, and, and Boise State is playing Virginia Tech next year. So I don't agree with those people who say they can't get people to play them. Uh, but, the, but the fact is that going through the SEC schedule week by week with the physical nature of football is a grind. Yes. And there's never a week off. And it, it's it's an it's quite an accomplishment to go through a schedule in a conference like that undefeated. No, I agree. And again, I think you got it totally right with Alabama, Texas, in the national championship game. I think those are the two best teams 
and I think that will be a heck of a game and what storied programs they are. So I think the TV ratings and the attendance at the game and the merchandise sales should be uh, a home run for you guys. Explain to us again, trying to educate our audience a little bit. I know that there's large payouts for the BCS bowl games. And unless Notre Dame and Independent is playing in one of the BCS games, it's my understanding that, let's say Oregon. Oregon's playing in the Rose Bowl. So Oregon isn't going to make $17, $18 million. They're going to split that with the other members of their conference. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Every conference has a formula for dividing the money. Most of them divide it that each, each institution gets the same amount. Some are slightly different. Just a few minutes left. Like I said, a lot of BCS games. I know there happen to be two on January 1st. Are you going to be attending as many of the BCS games as you can, I would imagine? Yes. You know, when you manage something, you like to be a part of it, and you, you like to go and, and watch the people who have worked so hard be successful. So I'm, I'll be going to as many games as I can, and I, I do get to see the Ducks play. Yeah, that'll be uh, uh, definitely a great game. They haven't been there since 1995, and uh, that should be a high-scoring Affair. Do you have a, a favorite bowl game that you've liked to attend? I mean, you know, I'm on the West Coast, so I've always followed the Rose Bowl a little bit more closely than some of the other games. Are there ones that you've attended more than others? You know, I don't have a favorite at all. I, I, I love all of them. They're all different. They're all a very special experience, and it's so much. It's it's so pleasing to watch the fans enjoy their bowl experience. Uh, we had a great treat a couple of years ago when Hawaii played in the Sugar Bowl. Just seeing how happy the Hawaii fans were. To be there, but 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 every game, every game is a unique experience, and I, I love all of them. Yeah, I mean, let me ask you that, Bill. A few years ago, Boise State, just one of the most thrilling bowl games I've ever watched in the Fiesta Bowl when they played Oklahoma. Is it better for the BCS to have David versus Goliath, or is it better for the BCS to have two powers like Alabama and Texas face off? What we want is for the best two teams to play in the championship game. We want to make available to the bowls the opportunity to arrange the matchups that work best for them, and beyond that, I'm not sure there's. Any, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or what's or what's bad for the BCS. I'm intrigued by the Boise State TCU matchup this year. It's what the Fiesta Bowl wanted. They felt very strongly about it. Undefeated teams don't play in bowl games very often outside of the BCS championship game. I think the, the Fiesta Bowl thought they had a a real coup by arranging that matchup. I don't agree with the people. I know the people are dead wrong when they talk about a conspiracy to match those two. That was the furthest thing from what happened. And the fact is, I think it's an insult to those two to say that they should have been split up and they should have played somebody from another conference. They're equals. They're equals with the others, and and they need to be treated that way. Bill, is there a draft order? Again, this is something that a lot of people have wondered. So, Obviously, Alabama-Texas matched up in the national championship game. So of the remaining bowls, who had first pick on their matchup? Yes, there is a draft order. The first draft goes to the bowl that lost the number one team, and that was a Sugar Bowl this year, and they took, they took uh, Florida. Then the second pick goes to the bowl that lost the number two team, and that was the Fiesta Bowl that lost Texas, of course. And with that pick, they took Boise State. And then it just goes from there. And then the, the, the and forgive me for that. I, I'm not thinking right now about did they take Boise State or TCU. I've had so much on my mind. <laughs> That's week, okay. I, I can't remember. But uh, then then there's a sequence. It changes every year. Uh, the next pick was the Orange Bowl. They took Iowa. The next pick was the Fiesta Bowl for its second pick, and they took 
either Boise or TCU, forgive me, I wish I could remember. Um, and then the Sugar Bowl came next, and, and of course they took Cincinnati. Interesting. So I bet there's a lot of anticipation in that room when uh, the the bowl selection committees get to uh, pick their, their teams that they want to match up. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely there is. That's great. Before I let you go, I was reading in your bio that you're an avid outdoorsman. You've ridden your bike across the United States twice. Wow. I mean, it's like watching the movie Forrest Gump where he goes back and forth across the United States. What led you to, besides just wanting to keep yourself in good shape, what led you to want to ride your bicycle across the United States twice? It's quite a feat. Yeah, well, thank you, Brian. I I was a marathoner. I I was a 15-time marathoner with a PR 306, so I, I took it quite seriously. And as I got a little older, my knees started saying, Bill, you might want to take up something else. And so I, like many people do, I... I kind of segued from running over into cycling, although I still run. And um, the cross-country trips were a dream of mine, and I, I just always wanted to do it. And I finally decided, you know, I, I need to, I need to take this on. Um, the first one, actually, we had a family tragedy. Our, our son uh, horribly was killed in a in a plane crash. I read that. I'm so sorry. Yes, it was it was a horrible experience. And he and I ran together and and did a lot of activities together and. In the aftermath of that, as I tried to get my life back to normal, I thought, you know what, maybe this bike ride would be a help me to get a way to help myself get grounded. And so I rode from Huntington Beach, California, across uh, Arizona, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and then into the south and finished up at Tybee Island, Georgia. Dip, dipped my rear wheel uh, ceremonially, ceremonially in the Pacific Ocean at Huntington Beach. And wow. And wheel in the Atlantic when I arrived there. How- then, the ne- then the next year I rode from Mexico to Canada. Oh, my. And how long did those rides take? The first one took 36 days, about 2,700 miles. Wow. The second one, of course, is it was quite a bit shorter, uh, 17 days, and that was about um, 1,700 miles. Most people said uh, when, I showed, when I told them about the second ride, they all say, well, that was easy because looking at the map, you're going uphill all the way. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, harder that is because you're going uphill all the way. But that, it was great experiences. I'm a backpacker. I've, I've climbed Mount Rainier, I've hiked many times uh, rim to rim and back in the Grand Canyon. And I think those of us who love the outdoors, and, of course, you're living in the state that's the very best one for outdoor activity in my mind. Well, thank you. Those of us who love the outdoors are, are very lucky when we can um, fulfill that, our, our love. And I've, I've been lucky enough to do that. Well, Bill, I really appreciate you taking time on Sports Business Radio this week. I wish you the best of luck with the upcoming bowl season and in the future ahead. Happy holidays. Brian, thank you so much for having us on. Thank you so much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Is terrific. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. Cause no matter how This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. 
With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. University of Texas football coach Mac Brown this week received a $2 million annual salary increase, making him the first $5 million man in college sports. This according to the Austin American Statesman. Brown's new salary propels him past USC's Pete Carroll, Alabama's Nick Saban, and Florida's Urban Meyer, as well as Kentucky men's basketball coach John Calipari, who had been the highest paid coach in the nation. Brown will also receive annual raises of $100,000, and he's eligible to other successes such as bowl victories, national championships, and graduation rates. Are you surprised by this, Nathan? A little bit. I think he should kick some of that money to Colt. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's the one that gives him the bonus. Yeah, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, it is a little surprising because you don't usually hear Mac Brown listed amongst the elite coaches, even though he's had great success at the University of Texas. He's a pretty low-profile guy. Really enjoyed the interview with Bill Hancock. Again, I don't agree with the BCS. I still uh, think there needs to be a playoff system, but I understand his reasoning and respect him for coming on the show and joining me. And, uh, you know, he's a really good guy, and he's been through a lot personally. I mean, it's terrible to to lose your son to such a tragedy back in, uh, I believe it was 2001, with the Oklahoma State plane crash where he lost his son on board that plane. So uh, Bill Hancock, we'll have him on again, but appreciate him joining us on the show. want to thank our show staff as well, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger, our sponsors. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Morton's The Steakhouse, and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. You can find us on iTunes. Type in Sports Business Radio. We've got our top 20 sports business stories of the year coming up. Submit your top stories to me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or you can direct message me on Twitter at SB Radio. I'm Brian Berger. Happy holidays to you, and we'll talk to you next week on Sports Business Radio. This is Sophia Berger. Happy holidays. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses. Happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference. 
Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.